Hey everyone, I'm Dan Cortler, the host of TED Climate. Each episode, we unpack the problems and solutions of climate change. This season of the show, we're getting into some big ideas that make us optimistic about the future, like meat grown from cells and leather made from mushrooms. And the best part? We look at how building a greener future can be an upgrade instead of a sacrifice. Find and follow TED Climate wherever you're listening to this. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi there, we've got a special bonus for What on Earth podcast subscribers. It's an episode from the CBC Edmonton original podcast, World on Fire, a multi-part series that takes you to the front lines of out-of-control wildfires in Canada, Australia and California. Hosts Adrian Lamb and wildfire expert Mike Flanagan look at what it takes to find hope in the midst of fear and destruction. Wildfires cost us our health, our homes, and our communities. Yet people everywhere rebuild and not just survive, but thrive. We've got the latest episode, The Pyrocene and the Pandemic, for you right now. Have a listen. Hope. We had it heading into this wildfire season. For the most part, it held. Quieter than normal in May, June, July, even August. And then... There's fire on all sides, all around us, all the roads. We do believe that there's still other people out in the wilderness. <laughs> this is what I've got. What you're wearing right now. This is what I've got. I'm Adrian Lamb with Fire Guy Mike Flanagan from the University of Alberta. This is Episode 6 of World on Fire. This is a bit of an update on the 2020 wildfire season. This episode, the Pyrocene and the Pandemic. The voices we heard are people fleeing fires burning from Washington State to Southern California. Fires that are also sending massive smoke plumes into British Columbia and parts of Alberta. So Mike, what's different about these fires? It's a record-breaking fire season in California. An area equivalent to three times the size of Prince Edward Island has already burned. And we're just getting to the start of their normal California fire season. But this wasn't a normal season. Fires started Earlier this year, in August, they had a massive lightning storm, started hundreds of fires, and then they had a really early onset wind event that spread these fires. And there's been a multi-year drought in California, in parts of California, and lots of dead trees, and this is fuel for the fire. So the fuels were exceedingly dry, record-breaking heat across the southwestern United States. When fuels are dry, it's easy for fires to start easy for a fire to spread, and it leads to higher-intensity fuels with all those dead trees. High-intensity fires are difficult to impossible to put out. To me, it felt like it was a relatively quiet summer, here in Canada at least. So, And these fires, they seem to come out of nowhere in September. Is that fair to say? It's partially fair to say. The first part's correct. We did have a really quiet year in Canada, but it's different in the United States. It's been a record-breaking year in California, but also Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Colorado. The West is on fire, and this is climate change in action. These are devastating fires, uh, historic, unprecedented. Some of the papers in California use the term apocalyptic, and when you look at the pictures, the orange and red sky, you can understand why they say that. Even in Edmonton here, we're in the backyard, and I smell smoke, and I see smoke, and this is from the fires from Western United States. 
there's a massive effort to put these fires out. There's 30,000 fire personnel working on these, but they'll probably continue to burn until the winter rains and snow come, which really? means months, yes, really. April Ehrlich experienced the fires in Oregon firsthand. She's a reporter with National Public Radio in Jefferson, and she had to leave her home after the Almeda fire got too close. I had left my house to go report on a grass fire that had started in the city of Ashland. It's a small city kind of right on the Oregon-California border. And I live next to Ashland in a city called Talent. So I got in my car. My husband was with me because I was going to go get the company car, and then he was going to drive back with our car. So we get to an intersection, and there's immediately just tons of traffic. We can't get through. There's police officers telling people to divert traffic elsewhere. And we looked up at the sky, and there's this huge plume of smoke. And the winds were pushing it toward our house. He convinced me that we should turn around now and go prepare our family. It was really frustrating for me because I've done a lot of wildfire reporting. And a lot of the time I'm rushing to get to that location. And here I was uh, with a fire right in our backyard and I couldn't report on it. So we get to the house and first thing we did was load our pets in the car. In my past reporting projects on wildfires, that's one thing people regret the most is not getting their pets sooner Mm. and not being able to catch them in time. And so we put the cats in their carriers and then, you know, leashed up the dogs, put them in the car, loaded up our stuff. And people were already starting to hit the streets at this point. There was a, a sense of urgency. You know, people were walking outside, looking up at the plumes. The winds were really strong. There was definitely a sense of foreboding and it was scary. We immediately hit traffic and everybody was trying to get out. And so we drove north, you know, away from the fire to a friend's house in a city called Medford. Um, It's nearby. It's about 15 minutes away without traffic. Uh, With traffic, it took an hour. Wow. Yeah. People were really packed. And we ended up not taking the main highway to get there because the fire was following the highway Mm -hmm. and it was really close. So we took some side roads and ended up at my friend's house. Sky was full of smoke at this point and I needed to go do my job. So I unloaded the pet, made sure my husband was feeling safe and everything was good. And then I hopped in the car and I left and I went to drive to get as close to the fire as I could. I didn't really know what else to do. And the fire is there. There's flames about a few hundred feet away. I don't know, it's really close. And I'm trying to tell a a local official who's like directing traffic. I'm with media, I'd like to get in, I'd like to take photos, I'd like to see what's going on. And he was panicking and told me, no, you need to leave. You need to leave right now. Yeah. And at that moment, I knew I couldn't, I shouldn't keep bothering him. He's trying to get everybody to leave and I'm in his way. So I, I left. I was able to glean some information that there was a temporary evacuation center being set up at our fairgrounds, the Jackson County Fairgrounds. So I went there and I started interviewing people in the lawn chairs. And a lot of them were residents of a mobile home park that mm first caught fire in talent and they were telling me about how they got there what they saw you know explosions from whatever 
propane tanks, cars. They saw huge walls of flames. Um, a lot of these folks are really low income or seniors on fixed incomes. And some of them had issues evacuating. You know, they didn't have cars. Right. Getting out. Like, what, what did they do? There was a woman I talked to. Her son had the car in Ashland and he couldn't get in. And she lived in Talent. He couldn't get in because of the roadblocks. So she had to take to the street because a police officer banged on her door and said, you have to leave now. Right. She told him, I don't have a way to leave. And he said, well, go find a ride. Go ask people for a ride. Someone will give you a ride. She had like two big dogs or two medium-sized dogs and one small one, and she couldn't take them all with her. So she just took the little dog. And she went on the side of the road and asked people for rides. She told me nine people rudely told her no until the 10th person, it was this really sweet lady who gave her a ride to the evacuation center. At that time, she was pretty sure her house was destroyed. And I'm pretty sure now that, yeah, her house was destroyed and she probably lost her her pets. And that's the hardest thing for me, covering these wildfires, like... I mean, the ones that I've covered, there haven't been a lot of deaths, and I haven't spoken to anybody directly who lost a a family member, but almost everyone I talk to knows someone who lost a pet or they lost a pet, and they always cry, and it's so sad, and it's hard for me because I love my pets. My pets are my children, and so I don't know. That's what really kind of gets to me a lot of the times, and I can't. I don't know. I keep thinking about that poor lady and her poor dogs. Yeah. How do you think officials have handled this situation? They failed us a lot. It was just astounding how much they didn't prepare for something like this. Their plan, which to me at the time didn't seem very solid, turned out to be just that. It turned out to be weak. And I just can't believe that. We didn't have any leaders who thoroughly planned for a wildfire like this. How tough is it for you to watch this happen to your community as a reporter, as a person? Yeah, you know, I've, I've covered fires in other places, right? And I go there and I see what's happening and I am in the environment and I'm very moved by it. And I tend to feel connected to that community. But then I leave and I go home. And I'm in an area where the trees are green and everybody is safe and the air is clear. Here, I'm in it 24-7. I look out my window and I see, you know, trees that were burnt in the fire. And I see roadblocks, fire retardant covering the streets. When I walk my dogs, I have to think about whether I'm not breathing in toxins from the nearby homes that were destroyed. It's difficult because it's almost like I'm constantly in work mode now, and the line between work and my personal life isn't as clear as it used to be. Boy, wow. What a story. I'm so grateful, but of course, it comes with a lot of other emotions too, you know, guilty and all that other stuff. So bad for all my neighbors, but we'll see how things, how we rebuild our city. I think it'll be okay. You know, it'll just take some time. Let it burn, burn, burn. The fires that are going on 
in the Western United States right now are unprecedented, even to our most senior leadership. We have not seen this before. When they're telling you to go, you go. You don't know whether your home's going to be there when you get back? Everything gone. Clothes, beds, everything. You're listening to World on Fire, original podcast from CBC Edmonton. This is Episode 6, The Pyrocene and the Pandemic. Right now, we're sitting socially distanced in the backyard. You can see Leslie Goldstone. Two meters plus away she is. Then there's technician and reporter Claire Bonneman. Hi. (laughs) And our communications expert, Christina Silva, sitting under a very large Manitoba maple. Christina has been going through all the mail from our listeners. Not actually all the mail, though, because that's pretty old school, but we've got some uh, social media comments. I'm old school. (laughs) We have some social media comments and just some general feedback we've received over the past few months about the podcast. So what are people saying? A lot of people were really struck with the importance of the content of the podcast, understanding that this is something that we're all living with um, in the world, but also just how important it is to understand the science behind it and why things are happening. Everyone is really taxed in dealing with COVID-19 and the pressures that have come as a result of that. It's a um, heavy time. Yeah, and it's hard, I think, to think about you know a worldwide pandemic and, and wildfires in addition. People were really, really interested and impressed with the ways in which the podcast merged science with emotion and storytelling. I think that people were really interested in the science behind wildfires and the roles that we play as humans and and just how much it can connect everyone from all over the world in in similar ways. We had someone say on Twitter that it's an excellent series of podcasts, great listening for the general public, students and wildfire researchers alike. So I like that it's kind of it's been unifying in that way for some people and a really great way to take a deep dive into something that affects all of us. I did check some of the comments. Five stars, you know, (laughs) well done. Excellent storytelling. Lots of love for Mike Flanagan. (laughs) And for Adrian Lamb. But, you know, I did also notice climate change. Holy divisive. I've been talking about climate change for over 30 years. And more recently, it has been more polarized. And I get lots of feedback when I talk about climate change. I can say what I want about fire, and that's fine. But as soon as I say climate change... I get some very negative feedback to the point of death threats. What? Yes, death threats even. It's crazy. It's shocking, yeah. What have you heard from um, other scientists? Other scientists think it's great and that we should be doing more of this. I've become a podcast junkie, and I think podcasts are a great medium to communicate information so people can be informed and make wise decisions with the handling of wildfire. Anything we can do to inform the public is the best way to go forward hearing the the tone and the and the expressions behind the words that you're saying coupled with the data and the science that you're espousing is really integral to sort of sending the message home to people i think that podcasts are a medium where you can become very connected to to the content that you're listening to and i think you know as much as it's important to to read what we read online and read CBC News as often as possible, hearing these stories and hearing the impact and, you know, the concern that you have, Mike, for for the world and for our future, you know, hearing these stories from from the folks at the front lines and, and just the ways in which fire has devastated and changed people's lives. Like, you can't really, it's really hard to um, ignore those feelings. And that's why I, like, believe and love podcasts so much because you feel really connected to the content. I got an email here. I'm going to pull it up on my phone. This one came um, 
in the middle of July uh, talking about feedback. So uh, Michael Hull was the guy's name. He writes, Hi, Adrian. Uh, what a podcast series. I thoroughly enjoyed the stories, experiences, and hardships you and Mike had with the people that you interviewed really hit home for me as I'm originally from Perth, Australia, and I experienced the Fort McMurray fires uh, while I was living in Edmonton. My employer opened their facility for evacuees, and to watch my home country burn on television was very emotional too. Get this, he writes. I'm working as a wildland firefighter in Laclabish for the summer. Luckily, it's been a quiet season so far. Thanks, Michael. So that was from Michael Hall, and I thought, okay, that's pretty cool. But the topper was from a guy named Eric Wagers, who I used to work with at CBC. He was a master technician. He sends me this email. I sent it to you. I forwarded it to you. I forwarded it to my... You so, did. So, okay, you, you read it, because this is crazy. Okay, let me just pull it up here. There's um, two photos attached, but the, the just the content is Eric's house before listening to Adrian's excellent podcast, World on Fire, and after. The before photo is a lovely home with um, very, very tall trees, and the after photo is with no trees. <laughs> <laughs> so Eric's not the only one. He's not the only one. Because, you know, after uh, seeing those photos, I knew I had some work to do in my own backyard and my front yard and, frankly, my side yard. Because you remember we had episode four, Laura Stewart, look at the house. Laura has assessed thousands of properties. She's a fire smart specialist with the province of Alberta. I remember she had some issues with your juniper bushes. Which are what we call gasoline or, or highly volatile um, species of trees. It's not what we want to see. <laughs> so my, my first recommendation would be to remove those. And, and while they do offer year-long beauty and, and, curb, and appeal. curb appeal and privacy, they are highly volatile and they're in a highly volatile spot. How tough was it to make those changes? You know, I think it was harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> you know, it took a good chunk of my summer. We cut back everything out front, removed that huge juniper bush she was talking about. It was a beast. Uh, I think I probably annoyed the garbage folks because there was so much to throw out. I even took a load to the dump myself because I, I really did feel guilty. Then we trucked in a couple of dump truck loads of that decorative rock, that red rock we have at the front, and spread it around. I think it looks a little sterile. I do sleep better at night knowing that we had done the work. I've been to ask you if um, you move through this world seeing fireproofing or lack thereof <laughs> constantly. I do. I do. And Mike, you probably do this too. Wooden fences, overgrown trees, wood piles too close to the homes. Mulch is a common one. Sorry, what? <laughs> Mulch. Really? Great. Mulch. Yes. Cool. Mulch. I saw a house in, just outside of Slave Lake and they did everything right except for they had mulch right along the driveway and the fire went right up the mulch to the house and took the house out. So, so just like a wick, like a candle. It, exactly like we, a wick. We put mulch down this summer. <laughs> Fire is opportunistic. It's, it's yeah. probing. It's looking for a spot to burn. And any any opening, just a, just a little line of mulch and you're in trouble. So I will come and help you remove yep. the mulch. What are you doing this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring the matches. <laughs> just move them away from the house. You know? just, just a little bit of a break, you know. Oh, just like man. the wooden fence can't go That's right to the house, you know. And if you're interested in more tips like this, uh, you can head to episode four of World on Fire. It's chokingly bad. <laughs> it's still like difficult breathing with the max on. Our PM 2.5 is almost the same as 
the worst time in Beijing. Yeah, I work right there and it was really challenging for the first few days. Um, and the staff were, they weren't happy, but now we're feeling okay. I remember waking up at 10 in the morning and I thought it was the apocalypse. Let it burn. For weeks, British Columbia and parts of southern Alberta have been under special air quality advisories because of the smoke from the fires in the western United States. And you know, our colleague Joanna Wagstaff has been living in it. She and her family, she's been tweeting pictures of what it looks like. She's covered the situation out of British Columbia for years. She's a meteorologist and seismologist with CBC in Vancouver. It, it has been a, a pretty intense past few weeks, uh, I've got to admit, forecasting and tracking uh, what what may be one of the most insane fire seasons I've ever seen. We know wildfire seasons are getting worse. They're starting earlier, they're lasting longer, uh, fires more intense, fires are burning more. But this year, I think what surprised me was how widespread all of these factors were. I mean, from Southern California all the way to Southern British Columbia, all tapping into uh, so many sort of perfect storm factors coming together this season with with climate change such a huge driver there. So, uh, yeah, I think I think the fact that basically the entire west coast of North America was burning uh, was was what sort of uh, had me taken aback. Really, I've seen the pictures, but what has the smoke been like to live with? It's been. Oppressive. The smoke has truly been oppressive. And, you know, I was looking at some of the numbers. The smoke that uh, we had here in Vancouver, in fact, all across BC for eight straight days was uh, the worst that we've ever seen um, as far as keeping keeping track of these numbers. It was worse than our back to back record fire season smoke in 2017 or 2017 and 2018. It just it felt I mean, you could feel it in your eyes, in your throat. But talking to so many friends and colleagues and, and you know, viewers and watchers on social media, it just felt oppressive. You felt depressed not being able to go outside, which was one sort of solace in the middle of a pandemic. It, uh, it it was it was brutal, you know. Watching for that wind shift uh, that finally came was, I think, I mean, everyone was just waiting for the the smoke to clear. It was uh, it was pretty bad. How has the pandemic complicated the situation? It it has definitely been an added layer, and I think as we move forward in time, it's all about these extra layers that that make everything so much more difficult in a in a warmer climate. The pandemic has you know, made people want to be outside more. And that not only has been a huge factor in the fire starts we've seen in the U.S., more people outside, more people seeking refuge in nature to get away from, you know, these restrictions and being locked up inside. And that has meant more fire starts south of the border. And then, of course, for us in British Columbia, uh, we uh, have wanted to get out and that smoke has uh, has stopped us. So, yeah, lo a lot of a big extra layer for sure. How long do you think it'll last for? Paper or plastic? Oh, I forgot my own bags. Um, plastic. No, wait, paper. Hang on, which one's better? I don't know. Don't stress, Neil. The podcast Living Planet is here to help. We know you want to do what's right for the planet, but you're busy and you have to make a thousand small decisions every day. So we endeavor to answer what's better. Cotton or polyester? Tea or coffee? For answers to these environmental conundrums and your questions, subscribe to Living Planet. 
wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, the smoke that we had here in BC for over a week, that has moved off temporarily. But, you know, talking to the Environment Canada meteorologists, the the air quality uh, specialists, they're saying be prepared for more rounds, even as we head into fall and winter. I mean, the nice thing about uh, fall and winter seasons, we don't get these big high pressure ridges that block that smoke in for a week on, on end. So if we get the smoke drift up from California uh, a few more times, it'll probably only be for a couple of days. But I've heard a lot of specialists say, if you didn't buy that filter this summer, uh, you might want to think about buying it in the off season because this, this is our new normal. How bad did it really get in terms of readings for air quality? So we were looking at the fine particulate matter, and there's a couple of different uh, ways we read read that number, but uh, the PM 2.5 is the, the number that we use to figure out how, how much of that fine particulate matter is in the lower atmosphere and is affecting our health. And on a, on a good day, that number is less than 10. We were seeing numbers here in Vancouver over 300. I think at one point we were over 400. And for about three days in a row, Vancouver had the worst readings anywhere in the world. Worse than, you know, traditionally smoggy Beijing, worse than San Francisco and LA that were actually closer to the fires. So this was unhealthy levels, not just for at-risk people, but for a healthy adult, being outside in that for any amount of time uh, was dangerous. Your little guy, how is he doing with all of it? Oh, yeah, that was, we're talking about extra layers. Um, I've only been back to work for a couple months um, after having my son. And, you know, I was, I was passionate about all of this stuff before, particularly climate change. But, oh, man, yeah, having having a child now, um, I think it's added an, another layer of emotion that surprisingly is is more anger than anything. Mm. I mean, I, you know, I had to stay in. I, I mean, he is, I'm sure as every mother thinks the most active child in the world. <laughs> um, so needs to, you know, go for his two kilometer run in the morning uh, and not being able to do that. Uh, not, not being able to take the dog out uh, with him for, uh, uh, you know, a walk in nature, which is what we, what we look forward to every day. I mean, that, that was just the small impact of it, but having to keep our windows closed and, just just thinking about the fact that in the future he these are the, his summers he's going to have to expect a week or two or more every summer this oppressive and my only silver lining was that he maybe won't know any different um which is in itself kind of a, a daunting thing to think about yeah what do you think about where we are headed that is a question i think about all the time where we're headed and I think I've 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 got I still have a sense of cautious optimism. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, that all the numbers will come out, all of the new the new research papers uh, following this fire season, and I think what we're already seeing is we're going to be seeing the impacts that we thought were 30 years down the road much sooner. We are seeing what we thought was going to happen in 2050, in 2020, and that is alarming for scientists, but you know, alar- alarming for myself. And I, I, funny enough, I'm, I'm drawing this hope from the pandemic and seeing how people came together to overcome or currently overcoming such a, a far reaching um, pandemic. And the fact that, you know, for the most part, everyone is, uh, you know, uh, following pretty extreme measures mm-hmm. for other people. And, 
you know, I, I have this new hope that if, if we can step back after we get through this and realize what we were able to accomplish together, it'll look different, but at least now we know we can accomplish big things together. And we can accomplish that by listening to scientists, which, have, you know, the spotlight has been shone on scientists in a new way. So that is what is giving me new hope as we move forward. Some people say the end is near Some say that it's already here Well, I won't feel the slightest fear If my arms are full of you That's the original music you hear with World on Fire. It's called While the World Burns and was written by an Icelandic musician. Adrian, you had talked with him about the writing of this song. Yeah, I did. I got a chance to. Hello, Svavars. Hi, Svavars. How are you? Hello, Adrian. Hi. While the World Burns, what what made you write it? I I write songs in Icelandic and English interchangeably, but this time I really needed to tell a transnational story about love and about love like in its simplest form of I just want to hold you while the world burns. (laughs) It's not about any lofty, high, poetic feelings. It's about you are the person I need to stand by and want to stand by me when everything is terrible. It's actually the the song I I used to uh, propose to her at that time. (laughs) Being an Icelander, she felt it was very romantic. Well, now you need to tell me the story, the proposal story. Start from the beginning. Don't leave anything out. Go. Oh, I was on a train in Germany on tour. It was quite a long tour. And in the early days of the tour, I just sat on that train in my own compartment. And I wrote this song thinking about her and life and the world. And when I got to Cologne in Germany, I went to a ring shop and I guessed her finger size correctly. And uh, then she flew over from Iceland to Germany just to meet me. This was like when we were dating. As I was playing this one concert in this one city, I just lured her under a little tree and, and sang this to her. Then, you know, years later, you get a call out of the blue from our producer here at CBC, Leslie Goldstone, who says she's heard... While the world burns, and she wants to use it as a theme. I, I love it when people connect with my songs. You know, this is, of course, an apocalyptic uh, song about the world ending. Songs can have like double meanings and, and have themes that cross. And I like it when people connect with my songs and want to use them or sing them or cover them. Do you have wildfires in Iceland? Wildfires? Yeah. Um, we do have a thing called Sienwälder, which is when that grass goes on fire. But the thing is, Iceland is so boggy and wet, and then we just have mountains and mountains with nothing, just like rocks. So if a wildfire were to blaze, it would just kind of fizz out in half an hour or something. And then the field would be a bit greener afterwards. We have a couple of jokes about Iceland uh, regarding forests. It's like if you get lost in an Icelandic forest... Just stand up. <laughs> and a definition of an Icelandic forest is basically three birch trees huddled together for warmth. So wildfire, not a big problem there? No, no. We have avalanches, however, and we have storms. And uh, we have, uh, what, what we do have is just like that 
Icelandic settlements are just locked between a raging sea and mountains. And the mountains are, are very, very steep and inhospitable. Like when you cross the 200-meter line, there is nothing because it's so cold. So all we have is just like a couple of hundred meters of, if we're lucky, of land on the strip between the mountains and the sea. It's been so interesting to chat with you, but I now have a confession. I, I think I haven't pronounced your name correctly. Can you please help me? Oh, oh yeah, no problem. Uh, my name has been butchered uh, more than the poultry. You know, I've heard people say it in, in every way. I think the most the funniest way I've ever heard it pronounced was in, uh, I heard this uh, Australian uh, radio host say, uh, an Icelandic friend, ah, how do I pronounce this? Swa <laughs> which was really interesting. Kachichua. <laughs> it's Svalar Knutur, but the, the way you can just think about it, you can just think about a, a pirate and he's like really dressed to the nine, he's, he's looking awesome. You know, it's like uh, Jack Sparrow. Ooh. So he's a suave R. Ooh, suave R. Ooh, yes. I can yeah. see that now. I have a picture in my mind. Suave R. Yeah. But then, like, he decides to go all minimalistic and buys a banjo. And, and he sells his uh, pirate ship and he just buys a canoe. And he goes on tour in his canoe. So we have a suave R in a canoe tour. Suave R canoe tour. Yep. There you go. I want to thank you again for providing the theme song to our podcast, World on Fire, While the World Burns. Thank you so much. And uh, uh, all my love to Edmonton and, and Canada in general. Swaver Knuder. No. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Swaver Knuder, yeah. That's a very powerful name. Swavar Knuter. I'll go next. Swavar Knuter. Swavar Knuter. Oh, not bad, I think. (laughs) Time for the names of some of the other people who are part of World on Fire. Christina Silva. Stephanie Coombs. Leslie Goldstone. James Evans. Claire Bonnyman. I'm Adrian Lamb with Mike Flanagan, and this is World on Fire. Keep an eye out wherever you get your podcasts for more episodes in the future. Enjoy our full theme song. This is While the World Burns. Some people say the end is near Some say that it's already here Well, I won't feel the slightest fear If my arms are full of you Maybe we will suffocate Poison fumes and clouds of hate Well, I won't care about my fate If my arms are full of you I just want to hold you While the world burns I just want to hold you By the ocean's mighty waves 
depart by robotic slaves Well, I won't mind those crowded graves If my arms are full of you Burnt alive by bitter ash Or a supernova's blinding flash Well, I won't mind that biting lash If my arms are full of you I just want to hold you while the world burns I just want to hold you while the world burns I just want to hold you while the world burns Let it burn, burn, burn Let it burn, burn, burn I just want to hold you while the world burns I just want to hold you while the world burns I just want to hold you while the world burns Let it This has been an episode of World on Fire from CBC Edmonton. The full series is available right now. You can subscribe for free on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.